0: What is up, ladies and gentle nerds? It's your boy, Graham, also known as HamHawks42 on the internet, and this is the Overthinking MTG podcast. A podcast where, once a day, when I'm able to, I look at a random card from some time in Magic's history and uh, talk about it for at least 10 minutes, and that's related to whatever comes to mind. Um, these are completely unedited and unscripted, so I'm actually going to go ahead and click that random card button now And today we are looking at Temple of Enlightenment. Temple of Enlightenment is a land. It comes into play tapped, and when it enters the battlefield, scry 1. And then it taps for both white and blue mana. So this is something that you're... Well, this is actually a piece of a lot of mana bases that uh, you're probably pretty familiar with in standard right now. This is... Tournament legal in standard. It's, you know, alive and kicking. This particular one is from Theros Beyond Death. Um, and you'll notice that the temples actually seem to be kind of... They, they seem to be becoming one of the go-to uh, dual lands that Wizards keeps going back to for reprinting. And the reason I say that is specifically because of Corset 2021 that just recently dropped, it includes a cycle of the temples. Not Temple of Enlightenment specifically, because this one was from theros beyond death and one of the things that they commented on is they wanted to make sure that the complete cycle of temples would be available in standard at any given time so i can appreciate that um it'll be interesting to see because right now theros beyond death and corset 21 are going to be rotating out of standard at the exact same time next year so it'll be interesting to see if they continue with the temples or if they bring on more um I don't know, more aggressive dual lands. Because the thing about the Temples is they are actually, this, this is an excellent turn one if you don't have any one drop that you want to play. And the reason that it's particularly excellent is because it gives you access to two of your colors just right out of the gate. Well, you'll have access to them on turn two. And it helps make sure that your next draw is going to be solid. I know personally when I'm running a three color deck and I have you know, two lands in hand, 90% of the time I'm going to mulligan that unless one of the lands is a temple. If one of the lands is a temple and the rest of the cards like curve out nicely in the early game, I'll usually keep those two land hands with the understanding that, okay, I'm going to scry one. And if that one isn't a land, whatever it is, it's going on the bottom. And that's one of the things that that's actually something that I know my maturity as a player has been really grown um special thanks to the temples actually usually the one that i was running was um primarily temple of epiphany and um what's the blue the temple of epiphany is if i'm not mistaken okay now i'm questioning that but the the is it temple the one that that has for both blue and red um is it a temple of en- no this is temple of enlightenment i think it's temple of epiphany anyway it doesn't really matter but that's, the, that's one of my go-tos back when I was running a lot of Grixis. Uh, it was in almost all of my decks. That and the, uh, the black-blue uh, temple. In any event, as a player, one of the things that I know I do an awful lot when I scry is look at the top card and it's not exactly what I want. But I really want it, like, two turns from then. You know, and I found myself thinking, okay, well, as long as I hit a land drop after this, this card would be fantastic. If I'm having that thought, if I have a condition, so if I'm looking at a card on the top of my library, it's going to be my next draw, and I say, well, as long as I draw into this other thing, this is going to be great, bottom it. Put it on bottom, just because the conditions... In that situation, what you're thinking is okay, if the conditions can be ideal, this card can be great. However, if you're having that thought, the conditions are not ideal. If when you flip over the top to look at it, if your thought isn't okay, cool, you should probably toss it on the bottom. You know, that's one of the things that I've found is if I'm scrying and I take more than two seconds to really think about whether or not I want to keep that top card, I have to tuck it on the bottom. That's just my own personal rule, and I would highly recommend that you do something like that. Because if I keep a two-land hand and I hit Temple Temple of Enlightenment on turn one, let's say I flip over a card that costs three mana, and let's say like let's say I went first. And it doesn't really matter for this in this case cuz whatever cards we have we will we'll have access to. I look at the top card, it is a three drop. It's the perfect three drop that I definitely want to hit this game and I do not have a copy in my hand already. My first thought is going to be well, I probably want to keep that or I probably want to grab it. You know, and keep it on top and draw into it. But here's the thing. At this point, I only have one other land in my hand. I'm going to draw this three-drop next turn, and then I'm going to play one land. I now have two land on the battlefield and no land in my hand. So what I'm completely and totally depending on in that moment is that the very next card is a land. And, you know, there's usually at that point in the game, depending on the composition of your deck, there's like a 60% chance it's not. You know? So, like, those odds are not good. Those are not in your favor. So if if you see that moment, toss it on bottom. Because the truth is, if that three drop is ideal and perfect for your plans, you probably have three more of them in there. And without the land, that card is truly worthless. And beyond that, even if it's Magical Christmas Land and you do hit a land that can come into play untapped, on that draw on turn three. Even if you hit that, what about the four drop in your hand? You know, what about the five drop that you were building up into? You know, there's a really good chance that keeping a card, if it's not exactly what you need on a scry, is really gonna hurt you in the long run. And the other thing is, accelerating through your deck is something that is incredibly important, and I cannot stress that enough. Every single time you scry a card and you think, man, I don't really want that, or every time you draw a card and it's not what you need, that card that isn't what you need got you one card closer to the card that you do need. And the more answers you have, the more likely, you know, the more situations you'll be able to maneuver through. So even if it's not exactly what you need in the moment, unless you're going to lose the game next turn, which, I mean, we've all been there, these things happen, but yeah, it's always fun living off the living off this top deck late in the game. Well, and that's one of the things. Like Temple of Enlightenment gives you some value right away. Now, it comes with a very serious cost. All of the temples come with the downside of coming into play tapped. That is an incredibly real downside. And that's one of the things, actually, that has... As somebody who really enjoys playing three-color decks, I am very nervous for what is going to happen in Standard after rotation. Because the temples are going to be... The temples and the triomes are going to be like, our best options for mana fixing, because the shock lands, the lands that can come into play untapped as long as you let them deal two damage to you, those are going to be cycling out, unless they reprint them in Zendikar, which, who knows, maybe, but in all likelihood, they're going to be cycling out, and so now, all of a sudden, our mana fixing is going be, gonna to be these duels and tri-lands that come into play tapped, which, okay, like, that's not bad, but it really does impact how quickly you'll be able to play the game. Also, I want to point out that the ramp packages that are out there right now with Grow Spiral and Uro and Arboreal Grazer. Now, Arboreal Grazer, yeah, Arboreal Grazer and Grow Spiral will be cycling out come September. So um, that's going to change things a little bit. However, Uro is not going anywhere. Uro is actually from the exact same set, exact same set as this run of temples, there's Beyond Death. Well, and as an escaper, kind of makes sense. So, one of the things about these lands that come into play tapped, if you have additional land drops, that doesn't hurt you that badly. Because um, if it's turn three, I tap three mana, play Uro, and then drop a temple in. There's a really good chance I didn't have a, a one-drop that I wanted to take advantage of with that. And then I get to Scry, and then on the following turn, I have a fourth land in play that can get me two different colors of mana. So now my mana base is, at that point, probably pretty darn stacked. It probably gives me exactly what I want. And the downside in that situation is very, very minimal. Meanwhile, if I'm trying... If I'm trying to play in a deck that has no ramp whatsoever, like let's say I'm playing in like a blue-weight flyer situation where I'm playing really aggressively, I would not run Temple of Enlightenment. I would highly recommend that people don't. Um, because in that situation, the land coming into play tapped, it what, what it does is it sacrifices the tempo. It sacrifices your speed. And that deck wants to be fast. Anything that slows that deck down is going to really hinder its ability... ...to execute on its game plan. Meanwhile, in a ramp deck, those decks are designed to be big. They're designed to be powerful. And they can... They are meant to be a boulder that is rolling downhill. It can get a little... It can start a little slow. And that's okay. Because it ends up getting so big so fast... ...that it runs out of control and people can't stop it. That's what that's trying to do. Which is why one of the best ways to combat a ramp heavy meta is with aggro because ramp start slow and so aggro decks are super fast and try to kill somebody before they get a chance to get going so that's why that matchup is one that we see a lot you know right now in the current meta as I record this Bant ramp is very very powerful and so as a result you see a lot of people running like mono black aggro and Rakdos like sacrifice aggro stuff where it's just really low to the ground really fast because you know, you can win fast or you can win big. It's really hard to to execute on both. Trust me, I've tried. And uh, you really got to gotta be able to win one or the other. And so when people go big, other people go fast. You know, when people are go- going up high, other people go low. And uh, in some cases, it can work out really well. And so it's one of those things where, like, an aggro player a lot of the time will know, like, okay, if this game gets to turn five or turn six, I lose. So I need to make sure that this game doesn't get to turn five or six. That's it. Like, that's the only thing I'm doing. My, my everything, all of my cards are designed with the idea that I need to destroy you as fast as humanly possible. You know, that's what that deck is. Now, if you're running a deck like that, where your goal is to deal a ton of damage super fast, don't even think about the temples. Don't think about them. Set them aside. Don't touch them. Um, it just, it's not worth it for you. Because the downside is far greater than the upside. Being able to smooth out your draws is nice. It is being able to select what you're what you're drawing into and having decent mana fixing on your lands is really good. No question. But in a situation where you need to be fast, this is slow. So don't do it. If you need to be slow and methodical, this is this is great, especially in a situation where you have extra land drops. If you have extra land drops somehow in your deck, the temples are worth a consideration. The other thing that I would like to point out is if you're able to ramp in other ways if you're able to cheat lands into play with like migratory great horn or auspicious sterics if you're in like a mutate strategy in those situations actually the temples aren't a bad choice because a lot of the time those lands are going to be cheating in um or coming into play tapped anyway and so if you're hitting them well actually okay so migratory great horn isn't a good example because it only come in as basic and auspicious sterics actually they just come into play however they come into play so never mind on those two examples um (laughs) but i guess cards like arboreal grazer that puts the the land from your hand into play tapped. So it comes into play tapped regardless. And so you might as well get two different colors of mana and a scry one off of it. You might as well, because it's just extra value at that point. Now, you do run the risk of being stuck in a situation where you really need to hit your three drop and the only third land you have access to comes into play tapped. And that's a feel-bad, because it does really hamper what you're able to do on that turn. So that's something to consider. But all in all, I feel like the temples are really good. Um, I feel like they're good, fair land. Like They have good upside for what they do, but their downside is very real. So you have to be considerate about which decks you put them in. You can't just, with the shock lands, you can put them in in whatever situation you want. Because the truth is, if you are a slower player who is methodical and taking their time, you're just going to have them come into play tapped. And doesn't, there's no harm, no foul. But if it's a situation where you do, in fact, have like that perfect 3-drop, you can shock it in in order to hit your 3-drop on time. Great. like There's nothing wrong with that. That's all gravy. It's all good stuff. Meanwhile, if you're an aggro player, you can just shock those in every freaking time and not be hurt because chances are you're going to be dealing enough damage to your opponent and they're going to be defending anyway. So a little bit of hit to your life total... You know, there are situations when when that's going to hurt you, but most of the time, you can play fast and loose with that, and you're going to be okay. Because, after all, the best defense is a good offense, or so I've been told. And anyway, that's the that's the strategy for a lot of, like, a mono-red aggro decks, and a lot of, like, I know the Mardu Knights is out there right now, Azorius Flyers, like, those decks that are really fast and low to the ground, that it's all about putting pressure on your opponent. Like, i got to say, as somebody who plays a lot of, like, quasi mid-range and like combo stuff, I know that I'm succeeding. I know I'm doing i I'm doing the right things. If I'm going up against an aggro deck and they are not attacking. Even if I'm not like clearly ahead in the game, if I'm going up against a mono red deck and they can't attack me, I'm doing some something right. And I gotta say thank you Steel Overseer for giving me a whole lot of those moments <laughs> recently. <laughs> anyway. So anyway, so this has been Temple of Enlightenment. This has kind of brought out some interesting thoughts but all in all mana bases are a tricky tricky thing and the temples give you a very real upside with a very real downside so just be deliberate whenever you're considering putting these into any deck they're not an auto include just because you're running two colors um, in a lot of cases you could toss one or two in without it hurting things but if you're thinking about going to four of, you really better mean it. Like, this is something that you better want. And uh, there are situations when you will. The other thing I want to point out, though, with the temples, they do not have basic land types. Now, if you look at the hollowed fountain, which is the shock land equivalent of this, it is a dual land that taps for one white, one blue. It comes into play tapped unless you have a deal two damage to you, and then it comes into play untapped. That is a plains island or island plains whichever one whatever order but they have the subtype island and plains now those are really useful with things like the castles like if i have a castle lockthwain in my hand and a temple of enlightenment if i throw temple of enlightenment on turn one and castle lockthwain on turn two the castle is going to be coming into play tapped because the castle will always come in play tapped unless you already have an island on the battlefield and that's true of all the castles now in this i say island just because No, I'm sorry. That's Castle Vantress. My bad. Castle Vantress is the blue one. Castle Lockdain is the black one. Anyway, so the temples... So let's say we're looking at Castle Vantress in this case. Temple of Enlightenment is not an island. It will not count towards an island. It will not allow you to play Castle Vantress untapped. However, or Castle Ardenvale if you're playing the white one. However, if you have the Shockland equivalent of this it will. So you can play a of Fountain, even let it come into play tapped on turn one. And then on turn two, you can play Castle Vantress and it will come into play untapped. So you will have access to both ban on turn two. That is kind of a, you know, it's one of those situations where it's meaningful. Now it's not as meaningful as formats like modern where fetch lands are available because that makes a huge difference. And the moment you have fetch lands, um, that can search up basic land types, or you have uh, access to cards like Seek, which allow you to search your library based on basic land types, that's a whole other ball game, and the temples are nowhere near that discussion. And that is why you see the temples going for a dollar, maybe two at most, whereas you see the shock lands going for significantly more than that. Um, because... They just have more value in a lot of those little nuances and a lot of those little categories. And the fact that they are the basic land types is not the least of them. That's for sure. Yeah. So thanks so much for hanging out, guys. I appreciate you. If you enjoyed this, uh, well, don't don't forget to subscribe. Uh, and if, if you wouldn't mind giving it a rating and letting your friends know about it, I would really appreciate that. It means the world. You can also catch me on Twitch, twitch.tv slash hamhocks42. Don't hesitate to go over there. Click that follow button. I really appreciate that. Also, if you want to support this show, one of the easiest ways to do it is actually to subscribe on Twitch. Now, a subscription on Twitch is $4.99 a month unless you are, is it $4.99, $5.99? It's around $5 or $6 per month. But if you have Amazon Prime, it is 100% free. You get one subscription that you can give to any streamer just to show your support uh, and that comes as a part of your amazon prime membership all you need to do is sign up on twitch.tv link your amazon prime account and then go hit that sub button on the channel Um, and that puts actual dollars in my pocket so it would mean the world to me if you did that it also unlocks uh new emotes for the community and it's just it's a party every single time somebody subs it means the world honestly so that's twitch.tv slash hamhawks 42 um yeah if you wouldn't mind going over there showing some support i would really really appreciate it all right well thank you so much for hanging out it's been a pleasure as always and i'll be back here same bad time same bad channel before too long so i will catch you next time